Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became, how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Andrew Solovey, who's an associate, who was an associate director for clinical services for a mental health center based in Chillicothe, Ohio. For more than 26 years, he's co-authored several books, and he's here with us to discuss why some people will just not change their minds. Welcome, Andy. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Jack, do you remember years ago the McDonald coffee case? Oh, God, it was famous, yeah. It was, and it kick-started the tort reform as the insurance industry used the case to argue for restrictions on jury awards. I was teaching uh, in college at the time at Otterbein University, and I bet my students that within 20 minutes, I could convince them that that verdict was just. Right. And uh, what I did is I didn't argue the facts of the case, but I argued about democracy, where our jury system fit in, the constitutional right to have a jury decide both criminal and civil cases. And at the end of the lecture, walking them through a logical progression, I got them to admit that whatever verdict that jury came up with based upon the facts that it determined was the just verdict. Good job. I'm not sure that's possible anymore. It seems to me that as much as us, we, trial lawyers, uh, pride ourselves on persuasiveness and argument and skills of convincing people, some people just can't be convinced. I think that's true, and we certainly see it in all the discussion about the 2020 elections. And we see all the election deniers who are fervent in their belief that the election was stolen, even though I've never heard any of them cite facts to support their argument. It's a different world, maybe. And as you pointed out when we were talking about this subject a few days ago, as lawyers in a courtroom, we're constrained to facts. If we start to argue something that's not factual and made up, we could be in trouble, both ethically, but certainly there's going to be an objection and the judge is going to have to weigh in, correct? Oh, yeah. Whenever we try to introduce testimony, the first thing the witness has to testify about is how that witness has knowledge about the facts that he's testifying about. He just can't say the election was stolen. He's going to have to say, I went to the Secretary of State. I investigated the records. I found these fraudulent ballots, blah, blah, blah. He just can't say the election was stolen. Have you ever had a witness like this, Alex uh, Jones, where the judge has to remind the witness that you can't make up facts, you have to actually speak the truth in the courtroom? I've never had anything that dramatic, although I have had a client that I once wanted to say, would you quit bobbing and weaving and answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> I read an article recently with this um, Marjorie Green, U.S. rep from Georgia, and she made the comment that no one can convince me that the January 6th rioters weren't Antifa. And so it comes to my mind, uh, Andy, maybe you can chime in on this, is one, she's just not very bright or very gullible. Two, it's an intentional misinformation, more of a con artist, and that would be my 
bet on this. Or she actually has these rigid belief system and an actual belief in what she says. Can you help us, Andy? Well, that is a very complex and difficult question because it could be any of the three or some combination thereof. And it's hard to get inside of somebody to know exactly what is motivating that um, the kind of uh, rhetoric that she's putting out there. Let's take the example or the situation where uh, the person isn't just intentionally misleading as far as some ulterior motive, but they're either very gullible or they're just rigid in their belief system. What makes somebody that rigid that they won't listen to anything to change their mind? Okay, well, actually, this gets into the question of the nature of mind, which is, um, you know, <laughs> maybe deeper than what you are looking for. Uh, but if we go back to uh, the 1950s, there was a psychologist, uh, Dr. Leon Fischinger. And Fischinger um, came up with a theory called cognitive dissonance theory, which uh, most people have probably heard of. The interesting thing to me, though, about this theory is that the, the shelf life of your average psychology theory is about 20 years um, before the scholars uh, tear it apart, beat it up, and, and, and find all the flaws in it, and then replace it with something else. This theory has not only withstood the time since around 1954, but it actually has more evidence today than it did when Dr. Fischinger came up with it. Um, and he was talking about it um, kind of from a software perspective. We're coming to find out that, that it's, there's a hardwire. It gets a, kind of a hardwire aspect to this. Now, what he was interested in was doomsday cults and why it was that when the end of the world didn't happen on the date predicted, the cult didn't just dissolve and fall apart. You would assume that if people were logical, mainly logical, and, and, and paying attention to um, what was occurring uh, and, that, and that the end of the world hadn't come, that logic would tell you that, therefore, the leader is off base, um, doesn't know what, what he or she is talking about, and, and the theory should, dis, uh, or, or the, the, the cult should uh, dissolve. But that wasn't what happened. When the, when, the, when, the, when the day came and went, there was some drop-off, but the folks that remained were even more fervent in their beliefs and proselytized even harder about the truth and validity of their leader. Now, as it turns out, the cult leaders always leave a little bit of an out, and you'll and if you pay attention to 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 the, some of the really sharp communicators that are spreading the disinformation, they do the same kind of thing. Now, the out that that the cult leaders leave, the, uh, the doomsday cult le leaders leave, is that if you pray hard enough, God may hear our prayers and save the world. And so what ends up happening is, is that the folks that stay uh, will then proclaim, oh my gosh, this guy really <laughs> knows what he's talking about. He's got a direct line to God. Therefore, uh, he is even more in with God than we thought he was. Now, what came from this is the idea that 
human cognition, meaning our thoughts, our feelings, um, our actions, actually are organized around our belief systems, what we believe to be true at the, at the bottom of, of cognition is, is um, what we believe to be true. So uh, the, the example that I use is that if, if, you, uh, if I were to walk past you and step on your toe and you believe that I did it on purpose, your, your cognition system would organize itself around the idea that I'm a bad guy, I stepped on your toe, and you know, maybe you need to do something uh, about that, uh, take it up with me in some sort of way to make sure that that never happens again. But on the other hand, if I were to walk past you and step on your toe and you thought I did it by accident, you might very well apologize before I do because you would feel badly for the idea that I felt badly about having stepped on your toe. So what then drives our thinking, our feeling, our, what we think is a logical action is the belief in what motivated the person that stepped on the other person's toe. Then if you take that further expand on it. You know, we get to the idea that, that some people's belief systems will, will view the world as a place where people generally go around stepping on each other's toes. And so if that's the kind of world that it is, you have to always be on guard, always be on the lookout. Uh, versus a, a person who has a more charitable view of the world that says accidents can happen. Uh, most people are well-intentioned and they would never want to do something like this uh, on purpose. So it turns out that a lot of our, 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 our mind is directed toward what we want to believe, what we wish to be true, versus what necessarily is true. So if I'm a, an election denier, I am of the persuasion generally that there's harm out there, that people are cheaters, and that you always have to beware as to assuming, as opposed to assuming, you know, the system generally works correctly. If, yes. If, and if you, if you look uh, carefully at the rhetoric that's going on within that group, there's a view that folks on the other side are evil, that people on, will do whatever they can to cheat, and so it's just axiomatic that, of course, cheating happened. And whether or not it can be proven or not is really not relevant to that belief system. It's the idea that people on the other side are so evil that we know they would do it. They're just so smart that they figured out ways to do it that they can't be caught. That's all that it is. You know, you've talked about the manifestation of cognitive dissidence. Yes. But you haven't given us like a snapshot definition of cognitive uh, dissonance. Yeah, so the term dissonance means different. And that has to do with information that is different from one's belief systems. Okay, we can have more than one belief system, but the idea is that it's a dissonance. It's different from. Now, the other part of of, of the the finding that um, uh, Fishinger had was that, that the mind actually selects information to fit our beliefs, either by driving us to ignore information that's too dissonant or too different, 
or manipulating that information to make it fit the system, as in the case that we we're talking about of the cult leader, where we're going to we now manipulate the information about the end of the world uh, to, to make it fit, uh, make make our belief system fit. And, and his idea is is that human beings have a, a a fundamental need to have a stable sense of reality. That if our our minds weren't weren't created in such a way as to sort of keep out as like a foreign invader information that's too different, that we'd be changing our minds all the time. There would be no sense of stability. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, this is our, our, uh, the way that the mind keeps itself sort of stable and on track. You know, this is the discussion that Gonzo and I have on occasion regarding the election deniers. Gonzo will say something like, couldn't we just sit these folks down and present them with a slate of facts and convince them that there really is no problem? And, and I haven't had the scientific wherewithal to explain why, but I've said, nope, it's just not going to work. So what you're saying is the information is just so anathema to their belief system, it just can't sink in. Correct. So uh, what would happen would be that m- m- the vast majority would, rather than listen to the facts, would come up with something uh, to indict your motivation. So the idea would be that, um, that, the, that, that what you're saying uh, can't be true because you are one of them. Uh, you're one of the hated people on the other side, and, and, I, and we can tell that. And so, therefore, whatever facts that you have to say are not right because um, you're part of the evil group that's uh, trying to take our country away from us. It seems to me that you really have uh, two sides here. You have the cult leader who is manipulating this belief system, and then you have people that have a particular belief system to this this that's subject to this manipulation so when you think about election deniers though where do they get this belief system i mean it wouldn't be something i would think that you have this belief in elections is it more of something that starts with maybe just uh distrust in government and builds over time is that the way it it might work well you know uh, distrust in government has certainly got to be a variable what's interesting in it though is is that distrust of government is part of the our system Uh, we're you know you're not supposed to trust the government so trust in government has always been somewhat of a tenuous kind of thing and which which means that it's vulnerable because uh, to to, uh, to to tear apart the tenuous trust, and uh, and and create even less trust yet, that's a, a much easier task than getting people to trust the government, to trust the process. So that's clearly a variable. Another variable has to do with um, what I think actually um, is a desire to somehow or other go back to the 1950s. Uh, and uh, folks have this, have idealized the 1950s, mm. view that ha- as, as having been the golden uh, time of the United States. So this was before the Vietnam War and the and the demonstrations against the war, before the riots that occurred, uh, before the women's movement, before uh, uh, all the uh, civil rights movement. 
folks, there's a lot of folks that want to go back to that time. And so the stuff that's being thrown out at them gives them reason to think that this might be possible. I assume that the uh, sister of cognitive dissonance is confirmation bias. Yes, that's part. That's actually woven into it. Uh, as part of confirmation bias, so which has to do with the idea that 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 we, we we look out into the world through a lens that's designed to affirm what we believe. When I was um, talking to Jack about the McDonald's coffee case, it was a a big problem for uh, lawyers that did what I was doing back then, which was plaintiff's personal injury work, because it basically made every case a frivolous case. And the the schools of thought on how to combat that were, one, try to explain to the jury that this was a just verdict like I did with my class, which takes way too long. You don't have that kind of time in a jury trial. Or distance yourself from it. Mm-hmm. Where if we're talking about this uh, idea that the belief system is so rigid it won't change, then what we did with the McDonald's coffee case is say, you know, how many people think there are too many frivolous cases like the McDonald's coffee case? And everybody raises their hand and so would I. And I would say, I want you to see that my hand's up there too because I can't get this case to trial because of all the frivolous cases. And, you know, you try to stand apart. I don't know if that can be used in this world of, um, of a belief system that is based on such distrust, not only of, of the government, which is, I think, built into the system, but then of the media, which was supposed to be the guardians uh, of, the, of the, uh, the government's trust or, or the government's honesty. But I don't know if there's a way to separate the folks that have that rigid belief system but still get to good governance or get to get to these issues that need to be solved. Well, so so now you're talking about I think the question of change. And, you know, is that possible? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm in the field of change, the business of change. So and so um, in the business of what do you do about cognitive dissonance to help folks change? And so it is doable, um, but very difficult. One of the things that I have learned through my training and over the years is to be highly respectful of folks' viewpoints, regardless of how um, kind of off track they may seem to me, uh, because of, of the, the power of, of cognitive dissonances, which then actually has something to do with uh, the business of of change, uh, we're 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 more likely we're more able to tolerate change when we feel accepted. So I assume that if you were tasked with converting some phantom guest who's not here today, who is a fervent election denier, and you were tasked with converting this person to reality, you would ask a lot of questions and make that person feel safe. Yes. Have have that person, explore with that person the roots of his belief system. Yes. And then what? And and then the next step would be to let them know that I understand what they're saying and where they're coming from. Okay, you do all that. What's step three? <laughs> <laughs> to introduce 
questions. Well, okay, what does that look like? Uh, well, uh, uh, questions have to do with, uh, uh, with um, things that one might be curious about. And so if you look at the, 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 uh, the thinking systems, you know, and, and where there are going to be contradictions. And so if you have trust, then you're in the position to, to uh, raise a question about a contradiction a place where, where the theory doesn't quite add up. Like, for example, um, you might say once a person has um, you know, been able to demonstrate that I, I really understand where you're coming from, I might say, well, you know, if I remember correctly, there was something like 60 or 61 court cases, and some of those judges were actually Trump-appointed judges who said there wasn't evidence I'm not sure I understand that. Can you help me with that? Is this process that you're going through, which it's certainly a lot easier to make fun of people. Uh, my brother and I go back and forth all the time, and it ends up we have a good time, but yeah. we'll, we'll make fun of each other in, in our, our belief systems and in these issues, these political issues. But, you know, you have to decide, I think, on a basic level whether the person is just saying it because they're the manipulator or saying it because it's a true belief. And I think of somebody like Kellyanne Conway, uh, the, the yes. counselor to the president that right. talks about alternative facts. Yes. That's okay with her to have alternative facts or the my pillow guy. Yes. He does not seem to be a, the type of person that you can are going to change his mind. But I have to say, when I listen to him yes. and it's difficult, <clears throat> He seems convinced. Yes. I don't think he's a manipulator. I think he's a rigid believer, but yeah. it's hard to tell. Well, you know, that comment on alternative facts really hit me. <laughs> <laughs> and it hit me for a reason. Um, clinically, one of the tools of a therapist is, is uh, something that we call reframing. Frame, a frame is meaning that we attribute to a set of events. A reframe is to reframe the meaning of the, uh, the, the meaning of the frame. Now, it's predicated on the idea, though, that there is a set of events. So I can recall... Uh, being in a training where the where the the trainer gave a story about a little kid who's on the beach with a, a helium balloon attached to a string, and it slips out of his hand and it starts flying off into space, and so a group of adults come to the kid and say, "Don't worry about it. That balloon's going to come back." And the more they tell the kid that the balloon's going to come back, the more the kid cries, and so then. A wise person comes and takes the kid by the hand and starts waving to the balloon. Now, his idea was is that if you try to change the events themselves, that's lying. That there's a wide range of different interpretations for any given set of events that as long as they are consistent with the events, give you choices. I mean, that's, that's what makes therapy work, is that, that there are choices in how you can interpret events. But when we start saying that there are alternative events or alternative facts, now you're opening the, 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 the pathway up for just flat-out lying about 
what is real and what is not, what has happened and what has not. And that's where, in my mind, um, Kellyanne and, 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 and Trump and these guys crossed over the line. They crossed over the line from where we all could maybe agree to some degree on events. We had very different interpretations that we would uh, go back and forth uh, great, you know, with, with great passion about. But the idea that, that we have the, the right, the ability, the entitlement to change the, the, the events or the facts, that's, uh, that's dangerous. I think some of this might be intuitive, too, and I don't know if it's because of our profession, Jack, or not, but in talking with uh, with people that don't believe that COVID was an issue, yes, uh, I remember talking to this person, and I was saying, well, you know, over a million Americans have died because of this disease. Well, they didn't believe that. Yes. So I did what you had suggested, not knowing it was a, a psychological I'm going to say ploy, but <laughs> technique. And I said, well, how many people do you think died because of COVID? And once I got them thinking about that, I said, all right, do you think there would have been anything that could have been done to prevent that? And it did start us down a path that I could see some wheels turning, but eventually I just called him an idiot and walked away. Uh, it's, it's frustratingly slow, that process, right? Let me, let me interrupt for a second. I would have said... And by the, the way, that wasn't Jack. <laughs> now, I would have said the person is an idiot. Gonzo was always too polite to do that. <laughs> I just, I, I wonder about uh, that... It seems in this day and age, this rigid belief system is much more prevalent on a lot of the big issues. The one that worries me most for my children, or really my, my children's children, would be climate change. Yes. It seems to me that the people that deny climate change will, will talk to you about a lot of different things. And in my mind, I'm thinking where's this country, where's this world going if we don't address this problem? How do I convince you it, it's an issue? I got something to add to that, and I want to take a little bit of a left-hand turn in our discussion. In addition to cognitive dissidence and confirmation bias, there seems to be another profound problem, and this is part of the human condition that I talk about on probably every other podcast, which is people are more than happy to talk about things that they don't know anything about. And as I write for my blog or the dispatch, I get two kinds of comments. One is, oh, Jack, that was brilliant. I understand and agree with everything you've said. The other is, I get this barrage of negative comments where it's like, I, one person in particular, he always responds, it's like I lit a powder keg under him. And he starts talking about things that aren't even related to what I wrote. But I don't think that's an uncommon thing. People have this cauldron of ideas, few of which are based on real fact, that they are just dying to get out into the world. I don't know what we call this symptom, but I think it adds to the difficulty of the situation. Yes, well, uh, you know, Dostoevsky wrote essentially that we are all psychologists, um, and I and and so we all have uh, theories of how uh, who we think we are, how we think the world works, 
Um, and we're, uh, and that's, that's what forms our belief systems. Now, we're also driven f- toward something called consensual validation. Say that again. We're driven toward consensual validation. It's the most powerful force in nature, meaning to have our thoughts, our beliefs, our ideas affirmed by others so that we can feel like we belong. Oh, okay. It's an incredibly powerful force. So if I'm saying something that doesn't match your, your point of view, what you want to do is show that you're righter than I am, for, I know that's not good English, yes. and that I need to be part of your tribe. Yes, that's right, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's a big fight over belongingness and whose tribe is one going to be in. One of the things that happened someplace along the line is this, this, the middle fell out. And so now you've got two warring tribes and you've got to be in either one or the other. Human beings cannot tolerate the, the sense of not belonging, to feel that one is out of it, that one doesn't belong to something. Human beings have a very difficult time tolerating that. You had uh, mentioned right off the start, Andy, that, uh, you know, this uh, nature of the mind is a very complicated matter. And I want to add another factor that I think to this is that the information available to all of us is so much greater than it was when I was in grade school, high school, college, right? (laughs) And, you know, we all at this table think that we're intellectuals to some extent. We're professionals in our field. And you think that if I have enough information, I can figure it out on my own. And I don't necessarily blame people. Certainly Jack and I deal with clients that want to understand the law and then want to do something that we're telling them not to as professionals because they have this idea that they know what they're talking about. And, you know, like you, you say, with climate change, if you can't trust the people that are true experts, maybe it's an information problem, you know, uh, in addition to everything else we're talking about. Well, that's, uh, by the way, um, uh, my speaking of what kids are learning and know, uh, our two, I mentioned I had two grandsons visiting. The, the nine-year-old was working on f- figuring out a four-by-four four rubrics cube, cube. And my wife said, well, how did you figure that out? And he says, I know the algorithm. Nice. And I'm thinking, <laughs> nine years old. <laughs> I think we covered that when I was a sophomore or junior in high school, and I don't think I got it. <laughs> I didn't know the algorithm could help you solve that aerobics cube. I think mine's still sitting on a shelf unsolved. <laughs> Wait a minute. You even heard the word algorithm in high school? Someplace it, it, it was like, a, I think it, the way it was an algebra trig or something like that. <laughs> oh, oh my. I'm feeling really not smart now. This nine-year-old's got it. Well, so what I think you get is this. So the, if, if we're looking at, uh, like, climate change, you've got a vested interest, meaning the petroleum com- companies, who are very powerful. And if I, if I have been reading the paper correctly... They knew about global uh, climate change and have been like the tobacco companies. Now, what happens is that 
they study language and they and they study how to use language to get folks to join their tribe and so you've got that going where the, where there is a a group of folks that know exactly what they're doing who are pulling lots of other folks into the tribe um, and uh, they are using uh, different kinds of ways of appealing logically to folks who would be vulnerable to that. You know, so um, kind of the idea being that the atmosphere is so big, it's so vast, we could never pollute it enough to cause this kind of problem. These guys are nothing but chicken little who are running around screaming the, sc the sky is falling, and that's what these evil liberal people do. And so... The folks then that follow say, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That, that fits my idea of kind of what this is all about. They just don't want me to have hamburger or steak or anything like that ever again. So if you're going to write a little textbook like a primer on how not to fall prey to cognitive dissonance, confirmation bias, consensual validity, in other words, how to be a man of reason or uh -huh. a woman of reason, of course, what do you teach people? How do you get them to be on guard against what is, in essence, the problems of the human condition? Well, the, weirdly, the first step is to acknowledge that we all have it. No, right. Yeah, Jack and I were talking about it the other day. Maybe we're the ones that are <laughs> misinterpreting the information we're getting on well, climate change. Right. I don't know. Well, we've, we've all got – by the way, I saw an article not too long ago where climate scientists are uh, developing depression at an alarming rate. And they're becoming depressed because their efforts are, are being blown up. Um, and they're going, no, this is real. And we're, we're the, the, the world is not listening. And so they're becoming quite depressed about this. But yes, I do have biases. And, and, and you have biases. And we all have biases. The first step is to... And, and then the question is, what informs the bias? I'm stuck on that word. What informs the bias? What informs your or my bias? So... Um, You've got to be careful about where you're getting information, it seems to me. I'll have this argument right. with people that I shouldn't be watching CNN, MSNBC. Yeah, I read probably 10 or 12 different news feeds every morning for different articles. Uh, but I should be listening to Joe Rogan because he's a very credible source. Or our buddy Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I don't know if that answers your question, Andy, but I think you got to be careful about where you're getting your information, too. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, where you're getting your information and what biases are getting are, are getting fed. No, there are some biases that are better than others. You know, I think it's we're a better a better world if our bias is a more charitable view of people rather than viewing the world as a place where everybody's out to step on your toe. And so I'm not actually even arguing against bias. We all have them. Some biases work better than others. You know, with, with an issue like climate change, I guess you can find some scientific support for uh some of the positions people take on climate change. Um, 
And then when you look into that, maybe it falls apart. But what really seems to me to be out on the fringe, and and I can't figure it out, are the conspiracy theories that people believe in. I heard one this weekend about Bill Gates and, and China buying up properties around military bases uh, so that they can uh, uh, listen in on our military establishment, or one was because they think there's going to be a tsunami that's going to basically flood the country, so they want to be in the interior. And, and uh, the person I'm talking to, John, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this. Get, you know, you got to hear this. I'm going to send you some stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't have the time for that nonsense. Well, you, you know, you've really brought up the most extreme. And for me, the most extreme is QAnon. You know, all of a sudden we had these things about the government is administered by satanic pedophiles. Holy mother of God, who came up with that idea? But I've seen plenty of news feeds with women holding these signs, get rid of the pedophiles. Now, how are people, what what does it take for someone's makeup to be so wholly accepting of something that we don't read about in any credible news source? Well, um, uh, QAnon is becoming a bigger and bigger thing. So there are plenty of people that are buying into these ideas, conspiracy theories. No, but what does it take? What's the makeup of the, if there is such a thing, the makeup of the typical follower who will accept such a extreme idea with really no facts to support it? Well, again, it goes back to the world that you wish that you're seek, that you're seeking. So do you, are you looking for a world, for example, where the reality is, is that usually people are not evil or good. They just do stupid things. Um, or do you want a world that's black and white, where there are good guys and there are bad guys, and the bad guys are really, really bad? And sneaky. And sneaky, right. And, and, and so th- there's drama with that world. There's excitement with it. There's a, a knowledge that I know things that other people don't know about what, what's happening and what's going to happen. Um, you know, it, it's <laughs> they're, 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 for certain kinds of people, that's very attractive. Then, then reality, which is for the most part pretty banal, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's not all that exciting. One of my uh, favorite movies is Hoosiers. Yeah, the basketball oh, yeah. Uh, yes, uh-huh. movie. Right, right. Yeah. And there's, it just got me thinking about the scene where the, the new basketball coach is there and one of the parents is like, look, if you're naked and howling at the moon in your own house, that's weird. But if you're doing it in my living room, I guess I have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells me that most of those beliefs were probably hidden from all of us at some point. And we really didn't care if you have a belief or you have something that's not affecting, you know, us. But now it's starting to affect us. And I think we have to start to deal with it. And I guess I'm still not sure. Is it do you deal with this? Or do we know how to deal with it on a person-by-person basis? Is there a way to, to do it more on a, on a, you know, regional or national level? Any ideas? Well, that's actually a, a very good question. And I don't necessarily have the answer to that one. 
um, because I do deal with that sort of thing, but at a very individual level. How you would deal that at, the, at a larger level is, you know, that's, that's a very, very difficult um, question, and, and I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I do, I do know this, though. This back and forth thing that that is you see on um, a lot of the the uh, news shows and the political talk shows where you have people yelling and screaming back and forth, that really feeds the fire. Um, what is uh, more respectful discussion at that level would be helpful, but I don't know how you get that to happen. It seems to me that whenever we see the person that's um, persona is just is huge, like a Donald Trump, they could use that for such great ends, but the person often is not using it to the betterment of all of us. Uh, you can think through history of the, the people that have that kind of influence. And I'm, I'm waiting for that, that person that has that, that influence to the, to the good, to the reasonable. Anybody come to mind over the historical uh, you know, past? Um, I guess that's a redundant. Anybody come to mind over uh, history, Jack? Uh, Ronald Reagan, maybe, if you, if you liked his politics, was a, uh, maybe somebody like Gandhi. Uh, I don't know. FDR. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, yeah. how far back do we have to go? It's a tough issue, and for some reason, I think we're drawn naturally more toward the negative than the positive. I just say that on an intuitive basis without the basis of any research, but somehow the dark is more attractive. Is there any science to that uh, idea? Actually, there is science to that. The, uh, uh, we, there's, uh, the, the, I'm going to say within the last maybe... 10, 15 years or so, the neuroscience has sort of settled on the idea that the human mind is tilted towards the negative. And we believe that the reason for this is that when we lived in nature, it was more important to remember uh, the close encounter with the saber-toothed tiger than the village celebration at the end of the week. It was more adaptive. It allowed for us to survive. So consequently, our brain seems to encode negative experiences in a more powerful way than positive experiences. And we do tend to be tilted in that way. And so the, the, the kinds of folks that you're talking about, uh, uh, like Donald Trump, uh, are very smart and savvy in the sense that they pick up on this human frailty and that you can use it to, to gain a lot of power. A lot, most presidents would actually look for the, the higher angels in us and try to call those out. But what he found was that there's tremendous power in going to, the, to our base self, our lower selves. And I think we've seen that historically with other leaders. Yes. I mean, show me a tyrant and I'll show you somebody who killed a few million people and he had a large cadre of supporters. I wonder, too, if the human mind uh, wants a more simplistic explanation of, of some of the issues and that a lot of these conspiracy theories seem to give a very 
basic answer to, to, to the problems in the world, where I think they're, they're much more complicated. And I know in talking with, with anybody that starts to say, hey, look, you know, Bill Gates is sub- subversive to the United States. And I think, OK, wait a minute. You know, uh, that seems kind of simplistic because you heard one speech 10 years ago. Now you're basing all of this on that. But to them, makes perfect sense and they don't need to hear anything else. Yes, that, there's, that's a really good point. So oversimplicity is, a, is, a, is a, uh, also a human bias where we, we look for the simple answers to things. We don't like nuance. Uh, and then the counter side of that is what, what, uh, what I would call the ultra solution, the solution of all solutions that will solve this problem once and for all. That's politics in a nutshell, isn't it? Exactly. I'm going to give you yes. the simplest solution, knowing full well that it's a lot more complicated. You know, my, I'm getting off here a little bit. Every election cycle, we hear about politicians getting rid of corruption in D.C. Yes. It ought to just be on an audio tape that they can just hit. Yes. <laughs> Every election, I'm thinking, can we come up with something new? Who could ever win an election by, by saying something along the lines of, we've got severe problems in this country, and if, if I am successful, things will be a little better by the time I'm done. Nobody, <laughs> nobody. Um, Andy, you uh, you ought to teach a course on uh, jury psychology because a lot of what you talk about, and, and I know a lot of what you deal with, um, with um, uh, the way people think about issues is what lawyers struggle with in, in trying to pick uh, jurors to be fair and unbiased, if, if that's even possible. But um, I'd love to continue the discussion. It's fascinating to me. I know it's an important uh, discussion. Jack and I are always talking about this. How can somebody think that? And uh, are they sincere or are they conning us? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Hey, our thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Eric French. If you like what you've heard today, tell a friend. We want the show to be more than just us. We'd like it to be all of us. We'll be back in a few weeks with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.